Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Taliban is right. Prince Harry has gone mad. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, a psychiatrist, and you're a terrorist therapist. Well, yes, uh, I don't usually agree with the Taliban, and I doubt you do either. But on this one proclamation that they've been making, um, they after his book came out, Spare, uh, and they saw before they got the copy, which came out on January 10th, they saw in the media uh, parts of it that had been leaked. So they proclaimed Prince Harry has, has gone mad. And that is true. Um, now, before I get into this, uh, let me just tell you some of my background that relates specifically to this. Um, well, first of all, I have seen, I mean, besides following the royal family for many, many years, uh, I lived in London. I studied under Anna Freud in London. I did research at the Maudsley Psychiatric Hospital in London. And I even met Prince Charles. And I have lots of other connections to the royal family that I don't want to take up time talking about. Anyway, the point is <laughs> that I know what I'm talking about. So um, I watched Oprah. I watched the Netflix doc. I watched, I, I have spare in my little hand right now. Um, and I watched all the interviews that came out, um, you know, about all of these things in the past, uh, what, several months. Um, you know, one of the things that's frustrating about his book, just in case you're planning on getting it, or maybe you have gotten it already, uh, it doesn't have an index, which is so bizarre. It is a very big book. It's, uh, let's see, it's over 400 pages. And most books um, like this have indexes so that you can look up particular things that you uh, are interested in. You don't have to read the whole 400 pages, but his doesn't. And I have to wonder whether this was on purpose to make it a little more difficult for people to do that. Now, when the book came out, um, or as the leaks were coming out, actually, I tweeted, uh, even Taliban read spare at least the leaks, and see through Harry. They say Prince has gone mad, taunt him for calling them chess pieces and running home. Say he's an attention seeker. Harry and Meghan live in fantasy world and are playing with fire. Now, why do I say that they're playing with fire? Because um, he, it is, it is beyond belief that um, he, well, with a ghostwriter, but let's not blame it on the ghostwriter, um, that he could write a book like this in regard to the parts where he talks about his tours in Afghanistan that could incite the Taliban and put him and his family in California, his wife, Megan, his two children, um, living, you know, living in, in Los Angeles, well, in Southern California, in Montecito, um, put the royal family in danger, not just his immediate family, but the royal family in the UK in danger. Uh, by extension, put America and the UK in danger and put the military uh, and veterans from the war in Afghanistan and any war that in, the, in the Middle East, for that matter. So and you will understand when I read some of the parts of this book and uh, talk and, and tell you about the reaction that um, it has gotten 
from the Taliban in particular, also from uh, military, also from people he served with and other veterans. Um, you know, he and, and Megan uh, thought that this book was going to, well, thought that not just the book, thought that the Oprah interview and Netflix and now the book um, was going to make them uh, <laughs> celebrities beyond uh, compare. Well, they, they are celebrities beyond compare, but not in the good ways that he was hoping for. Um, this, you know, it has been really not just the Afghanistan part, that's the most dangerous part, but it has been criticized for many other things that um, he wrote about and um, for this clear attempt to um, uh, to make money and just become famous, more fam more famous, you know, not just being a prince. And Megan not just being a an actress, a B actress at that. But um, now there are many parts of the book um, that I can talk about and have talked about and so on that are really um, upsetting. You know, really uh, he should be ashamed of himself. Um, but of course, the worst part is this incitement of the Taliban and other terrorists. It's not just the Taliban. He's, he's you know, it's all the terrorists who um, have become incited by his book. Now, the, some of the other um, topics that he talks about and some of the other issues from the book um, that I'm not going to go into, but I'll just mention them. Uh, first of all, the reason why he wrote the book, besides wanting to get even more famous, was because he is jealous of Harry. That's why he calls the book Spare. Harry was the elder son and the one who is higher on the list to become king. And uh, I mean, I'm sorry, William. <laughs> Harry is jealous of William. I'm sorry. Let's let's start that again, because William is closer to being king than Harry is. And so he's jealous of that. And the reason why he calls the book spare is because he's always felt like he was the spare, like spare parts in case something happens to William. And literally in case he needs some, you know, a kidney or something like that. Um, and he has this, he tells this story of how, and, and there's no proof of this, but in his mind, um, the way he, you know, understands it is that when he was born, his father told his mother, Diana, that, um, you know, something like, oh, good, like you gave me two boys, one to spare. You know, this one, Harry's going to be the spare. Um, Harry also wrote this book and expresses in it his anger at uh, his father for um, cheating on his mother and making her miserable, uh, cheating with Camilla both before he was married to Diana and after, you know, now, of course, she's the queen consort. And not wanting Camilla to be a, the, um, the wicked stepmother, you know, I mean, you know, seeing her as the wicked stepmother. And then also the third main reason why he wrote this book, this angry, angry book, was, you know, resentful um, book is because of his mother's death which he blames the palace for, you know, there were rumors when Diana died that um, somehow that the palace um, killed her, set up this, um, this chase in Paris and where she died, you know, in a tunnel in Paris, a car chase being chased by paparazzi uh, because she was, um, because she was dating Dodi Fayed and they didn't like that. So now, Diana died when Harry was 12 years old. And of course, that's traumatic. And um, so these three traumas, I guess, you know, these three aspects of his psyche um, that have made, made him very angry and resentful are at the core of this book. Now, his mother's death also left him vulnerable to Megan, who really is the force behind this. Um, having gas lit him by, in a sense, pretending to be Diana. Uh, Harry had this feeling that when his mother died, he had this uh, idea until he was 23 that his mother was really not dead and that she would call for him when, uh, you know, later on that she was hiding out somewhere for because uh, 
because she was in danger or something and that she would come for him later. And Megan has in a very um, uh, manipulative to say the least way has gotten him to uh, believe that um, she is Diana coming for him. All right. So um, Harry was, um, he was born on September 15th in 1984. He's the son of King Charles III, well, at the time, um, Prince Charles and Diana. He's now fifth in line of succession to the British throne. He was third at one time. Um, he trained at the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst. And in 2007 to 2008, he served for over 10 weeks in Afghanistan. And then he went back to Afghanistan for a 20-week deployment in 2012 to 2013 with the Army Air Corps. And then in June 2015, he resigned from the Army. Um, from 2013 to 2015, he was more in a civilian capacity. And so in 2014, he launched the Invictus Games, which is... Um, which is uh, like a a, um, a Parrock Olympic Games for veterans. Okay, so that's the background. Um, let me read to you a part of, um, I'm gonna be reading segments of his book to you. Um, and let me start out with, um, I'm going to be reading segments, of course, that all have to do with Afghanistan and relate to why the Taliban is so enraged. Um, okay, so talking about this second tour, um, in September 2012, he wrote, I mean, he wrote that in September 2012, he took the same eternal flight to Afghanistan. Um, he landed at Camp Bastion which was the British Army Air Base in Afghanistan. And he said, um, this was a coming home. After more than four years and against all odds, I was finally back. As a captain, I'd been promoted since my first tour. Now, on this day that he's talking about that I'm going to continue to read to you about, it was his 28th birthday. And he wrote that... Um, in, at the uh, base, someone yelled, we're under attack. Um, then he talks more about that and um, why, he, in, by, you know, when it was all over, he asked why, in sh quote, why, in short, me. They were looking for Prince Harry, they said. The Taliban actually issued a statement. Prince Harry was our target. And the date of the attack had been carefully chosen as well. They'd timed it. They proclaimed to coincide with my birthday. I didn't know if I believed that. I didn't want to believe that. Now, you know, it is believable because the Taliban do, I mean, terrorists in general, do choose um, specific uh, dates and places. You know, um, they're very good at that to make the most effect. I mean, you know, if, if Prince Harry was killed in Afghanistan, that would have been awful. I mean, you know, that would have gotten the world's attention. But if he was killed on his birthday, that would have been even a greater coup for the Taliban. So then he talks about a particular incident um, when he was in his uh, Apache helicopter and they finally got permission to fire. Um, and he said, Uh, when he got back to base, I did a sort of mental scan. I'd been in combat before. I'd killed before. But this was my most direct contact with the enemy ever. Other engagements felt more personal, impersonal. This one was eyes on target, finger on trigger, fire away. I asked myself how I felt. Traumatized? No. Sad? No. Surprised? No. Prepared in every way doing my job, what we'd trained for. I asked myself if I was callous, perhaps desensitized. I asked myself if my non-reaction was connected to a long-standing ambivalence towards death. I didn't think so. 
It was really just simple maths. These were bad people doing bad things to our guys, doing bad things to the world. If this guide I just removed from the battlefield hadn't already killed British soldiers, he soon would. Taking him meant saving British lives, lives, sparing British families. Taking him meant fewer young men and women wrapped like mummies and shipped home on hospital beds, like the lads on my plane four years earlier, or the wounded men and women I'd visited at Silly Oak and other hospitals, or the brave team with whom I'd marched to the North Pole. So, um, yes, he describes uh, that kill that he made on that day as a perfect kill. Um, okay, that's it for right <laughs> That's the segment I'm going to read in this segment of the show. And um, let me just see. Yes, you know, after I watched all of those things, the interviews and the Netflix and and the uh, spare and read some of Spare, um, I did come to the same conclusion that the Taliban did that Harry has lost touch with reality, or as the Brits say, he has lost the plot. Um, and what really bothers me too is that um. Is that, you know, in London, th there are the best psychiatrists and psychologists, uh, the best trained um, at the at Anna Freud's Hampstead Clinic, the one that I attended for a period of time. Um, and and so there is no excuse for his not having had good therapy from the time that his mother died and to today. And clearly, you know, yes, he talks about having gone to various therapies, but clearly he did not do an intensive psychoanalytic kind of therapy because he wouldn't be writing a book like this, not just about the Taliban. You know, he would realize, would have realized, you wonder why didn't someone point out to him along the way that this book, you know, a proofreader or the, or the ghost who was writing the book, why didn't somebody tell him this could be dangerous, Harry, <laughs> this could make the terrorists want to get you and your wife and your children, um, as well as all the other people I mentioned, but somehow or other, you know, I guess the publisher liked it. Um, it does make it more, it certainly did make it more controversial and get more attention, you know, um, let's see. So I'm just making sure. Oh, yes. Then there are these questions about whether maybe he had done this on purpose, uh, baiting the Taliban and other terrorists, um, because he has had a longstanding feud with the palace well, about many things, but including about wanting them to pay for his security. So some have said that this is a way for him to show that he really is in danger and that he does need them to pay for his security. I mean, the bottom line is, can you imagine if um, the, let's just say the Taliban, but I, I really mean all any terrorists, because, you know, they're kind of in sync with him about, with the Taliban about uh, being, you know, uh, not liking what Harry had to say about them, but, you know, and, and about shooting them. Now, what, I mean, certainly, I am not saying that it was bad for Harry to be in the army, um, in the military, you know, certainly, uh, I certainly approve of um, that those years that he did put himself in danger. Uh, those were the years when I think he should be admired, um, because he risked it all for his country. And um, that is the most honorable things those years were the most honorable years um, that he has spent. You know, now he's just this whiny little brat who, <laughs> who is um, beholden to his wife, who's letting his wife run the show. So I, I want to make clear that I'm not saying we sh that we shouldn't have been in Afghanistan. I certainly do. I think that we shouldn't have surrendered to Afghanistan, um, to the Taliban. So I, I want to make that clear from the beginning. But it's not the fact that he fought 
in the war that was bad. It's the fact that he's bragging about it in his book. And I'm just going to be reading you segments, but you know, there's a lot more that that is um, that is in there, you know, that is provocative to terrorists. Um, what else? Okay, I think that that uh, I'll stop here for for the first segment. And we will go on to segment number two. So absolutely stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Taliban is right. Prince Harry has gone mad. Um, in this segment, I'm going to start by reading you um, a part of the book that is the most controversial, that the um, Taliban and other terrorists are most angry about. And then I will tell you about the backlash um, that he has gotten, and you will understand why. Okay, so he wrote, every kill was, this is a continuation of what I was, um, I mean, in terms of the chronology of the book, um, obviously I'm just picking out certain segments. Everybody's still talking about his second tour. Every kill was on video. The Apache saw all. The camera in its nose recorded all. So after every mission, there would be a careful review of that video. I was part of six missions that ended in the taking of human life. In, in battle conditions, there's often a great deal of indiscriminate firing, but in the age of Apaches and laptops, everything I did in the course of two combat tours was recorded, time-stamped. I could always say precisely how many enemy combatants I'd killed. So my number, 25. It wasn't a number that gave me any satisfaction, but neither was it a number that made me feel ashamed. Naturally, I'd have preferred not to have that number on my military CV, on my mind, but by the same token, I'd have preferred to live in a world in which there was no Taliban, a world without war. While in the heat and fog of combat, I didn't think of those 25 as people. You can't kill people if you think of them as people. You can't really harm people if you think of them as people. They were chess pieces removed from the board. Bads taken away before they could kill goods. I never forgot being in that TV room at Eaton, the one with the blue doors, watching the Twin Towers melt as people leapt from the roofs and high windows. I never forgot the parents and spouses and children I met in New York, clutching photos of the moms and dads who'd been crushed or vaporized or burned alive. September 11th was vile, indelible, and all those responsible, along with their sympathizers and enablers, their allies and successors, were not just our enemies, but enemies of humanity. Okay, so those are the two um, buzzwords, basically, that have gotten the most uh, attention, particularly from the Taliban, which is the fact that he brags about uh, his the number of people, of, well, he doesn't call them people, the number of, of Taliban who he killed as 25, and the fact that he called them chess pieces. He couldn't think of them as people. So now I'll tell you about the backlash. Okay. Um, 
a retired British Army colonel, Tim Collins, who had made an inspirational speech on the eve of battle in Iraq, said about the book that he has, quote, now turned against the other family, the military, that once embraced him. Prince Harry's latest revelations in his memoir, Spare, are clearly a tragic money-making scam to fund the lifestyle he can't afford and someone else has chosen. Amongst his assertions is a claim that he killed 25 people in Afghanistan. That's not how you behave in the army. It's not how we think. He has badly let the side down. We don't do notches on the rifle butt. We never did. Then people who um, were actually fighting in Afghanistan said about the book, quote, other Afghanistan veterans questioned how far Oh, okay. No. Um, so, okay. Uh, these other Afghanistan veterans, qu- veterans questioned um, how he could be sure of how many people he killed. So one of these said, quote, I've never heard anyone talk about kill counts. It's crass and frankly, cringeworthy. Taking a life is the most serious thing you can ever do on ops. Serious people don't talk it up as a game to shift a few books. Um. And he said, you can't always tell who has been killed or injured. No one is going into a flattened building to check. It might, however, Harry might be right in terms of what he was saying about this particular, you know, um, aircraft um, and the video, because they did, uh, he, he talks about how after the, after the flights, you know, the missions that they would, um, that his super superiors would um, watch the videos. And so there is, Certainly, the possibility that he, you, to some, in, at least in some cases, that you could tell some of those who had been injured and killed. Then Muslims also in Britain are are not happy. Uh, one said, "Quote: As a British Muslim, Harry's revelation makes me recoil, and him look like a cold killer." Um. More. More feedback. Um, the Taliban, not just the Taliban, uh, are you know uh, biting back, but also um, UK military figures and also UK politicians um, are outraged about what he talks about in the book about Afghanistan. Um, his former contra- comrades say that it's a betrayal. Quote unquote, betrayal that could, quote, incite, unquote, assassination attempts. Now, Colonel um, Richard Kemp, who was in command of British forces in Afghanistan in 2003, said that he was worried about the Taliban and their followers. Uh, He was worried that they would be, quote, motivated to kill Harry, as well as other veterans and active troops. Let's hope they don't succeed. In, um, he said, this will, quote, this will incite some people to attempt an attack on British soldiers anywhere in the world. Um, and that veterans are also at risk. Quote, the impact on his own personal security is even greater. He re-incited those people who wish him harm. It undermines his personal security. Now, if if you um, have seen or do see, and I'm not necessarily recommending it, <laughs> I'm talking about the Netflix documentary. It's six hours. There are six episodes. Each one is approximately an hour. Um, I suffered through it because I knew I was going to be talking about it. But um, it is basically one demo tape for Megan, which is uh, in Hollywood. You make a demo tape, like if you want to get a part, you know, um, And so it's showing her in all these different poses, you know, it's like, oh, oh, really gross. But again, none of that is as as serious as uh, the danger that Harry has put himself and other people in. Veterans, um, one particular veteran, but others have done something similar. Uh, A veteran named Ben McBean, who is a former Royal Marine who lost an arm and a leg in the war, and who Harry has hailed as a season, as a hero said, 
uh, tweeted, um, love you, Prince Harry, but you need to shut up. <laughs> then an active trooper who said he was so proud to have served alongside the prince in Afghanistan said, that Harry had, quote, broken an unwritten rule by bragging about his kill list. It's never shared. It's shared only with those that know and only with your absolute closest friends. Then um, an academic uh, man named Ghanem Nusebe, who's chair of the Muslims Against Antisemitism, said that, quote, Arabic Twitter was already widely sharing Harry's irresponsible words. So it's all over Twitter. You know, it's so, uh, it, it's so interesting, so um, hard to imagine, you know, but it is happening. Um, you imagine the, what the Taliban looked like and imagine looking at their iPhones or wherever, their computers, wherever they're looking at it, um, you know, on Twitter. Um, watching all these things. I mean, that's where, uh, again, that's how they shared a lot of what he wrote or what was leaked anyway, before his book actually came out on January 10th. Anyhow, he said, again, I'm going to repeat it because this is just so wild. Arabic Twitter was already widely sharing Harry's irresponsible words. Uh, he went on to say, I'm really not interested in Harry's personal problems, but his Afghanistan claims are threats to national security. Uh, then one of the leaders of the Taliban, this is, uh, he's cited in many different um, media uh, outlets by many different media outlets because, you know, he has a very high position. He's a senior member of the Taliban. He's the interior minister of the Taliban, Anas Haqqani. Um, he said on Twitter <laughs> um, that he said he wrote, uh, he tweeted, Mr. Harry, the ones you killed were not chess pieces. They were humans. They had families who were waiting for their return. Uh, quote, among the killers of Afghans, not many have your decency. Now, this is being facetious, of course. Not many have your decency to reveal their conscience and confess to their war crimes. Um, the truth is what you've said. Our innocent people were chess pieces to your soldiers, military and political leaders. Still, you, so he's saying this about Harry confessing, you know, and saying uh, not many had the decency to, to uh, reveal their conscience and confess to war crimes because um, because he he also says that he is hoping but doesn't really expect it that he would be tried for war crimes after what he wrote. Um, he continues with quote the Taliban leader says again uh, the truth is what. What you? Well, I just read that. Wait a second. Still, you were defeated in that game. In other words, if you're calling our Taliban people, um, not people, but um, chess uh, uh, markers and um, chess pieces. And so he, in relation to that, he said, uh, still, you were defeated in that game. And uh, he's saying, you know, that the Taliban returned to power after this game. In other words, the Taliban won the game. You want to call us chess pieces? Okay, but we won. Uh, because of the, of course, humiliating withdrawal of Western troops, which I have talked about in a previous podcast, <laughs> just on its own. Um, then we have the Taliban's police spokesperson, uh, in Kabul named Khalid Zidran, he said the prince should be brought before an international court after proudly confessing the crime. Prince Harry will always be remembered. Afghans will never forget the killing of their innocent countrymen. The quote, the cruel and barbaric actions of Harry and others aroused the Afghan population and led to an armed uprising against them. We call this kind of uprising holy jihad. 
The perpetrators of such crimes will one day be brought to the international court and criminals like Harry, who proudly confess their crimes, will be brought to the court table in front of the international community. And um, he talks about how on the Arab Twitter, um, particularly Afghan and Pakistani Twitter, is full of anti-Harry tweets, calling him crusader, terrorist, murderer, murderer. Uh, is he really that stupid to boast about killing 25 Taliban? This is what um, Ghanem Nusebe tweeted. Okay, um, there is more. <laughs> um, they are calling him a big mouth loser. Um, they're saying the Taliban and other terrorists are saying that they had the last laugh over the West after recapturing the country in 2021. The Taliban claimed that um, they are the ultimate victors of the conflict. And Harry has, quote, fled to his grandmother's palace, unquote, and is now struggling to maintain a place in the royal family. Um, then we have another man, another Taliban commander, uh, Malavi Aga Gol, who has said, um, that he thought Harry was attention seeking. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because in America, certainly, and in Britain, Great Britain, um, you know, they have picked up on early on that Harry and Meghan are um, simply attention seeking. Um, and they, um, let's see, he said, this Taliban commander said, um, that he is a loser and scared to go to a combat zone. I, I don't. I do not even believe what he said about the Mujahideen. He is a loser and scared to go to a combat zone. We made history by kicking him and his army out of our homeland, and he should be very angry about that. This is the a Taliban commander. And listen to this because I've been saying this, and and it's so interesting to that uh, even it's so obvious that even the Taliban from all the way over there realize it. He said, do not believe whatever losers tell you. I see news about him a lot on my Facebook feed and really think he's gone mad and needs a doctor immediately. Even if he believes that he killed 25 Taliban, our martyred Mujahideen are in heaven, but his invading friends are burning in hell. If he's a real man and not an effing loser, come to Afghanistan again. Those are fighting words. Um, let's see. Let me just give you a few more so you get the sense of just how how angry people are about all this. Uh, a former British Army Colonel Richard Kemp. Oh, I think I, I might have mentioned him before. Tim Collins I mentioned before. Uh, Tory MP Bob Stewart, who commanded British troops in Bosnia, um, said that the comments in his book were distasteful. He said, people I know don't boast about such things. They rather regret that they have had to do it. Another Tory MP who didn't want to be named said, Harry's behavior was bonkers. <laughs> he is bringing everything into disrepute. Um, Harry has long been regarded as a terrorist threat in the sense that, um, you know, he was a, th that, that if people were to kill or capture, kidnap Harry, even before this book, um, just like William, just like any of the royal family, they were always a target because if the talent, if, if any terrorists, uh, managed to kill them or kidnap them, um, you know, kidnap them and ask for ransom. I mean, that would be the most likely thing that would happen uh, rather than just, uh, well, it depends on who, which lone wolf or whoever did it, you know, wh whatever terrorist did, did it. But um, the most um, obvious scenario is that they would capture Harry and uh, kidnap him and demand a ransom that would... Um, 
be very um, devastating, not just to Harry, I mean, not just to, or the royal family, but, you know, to the West in terms of the war on terror. So, you know, he's just acting like, you know, he's writing this book um, and mainly um, as a as a diatribe against the royal family and including boasting about his his work in Afghanistan um, as part of it, you know, to make him look uh, like a hero, even more of a hero, right? Besides, you know, calling the royal family out on their alleged racism, which is what Megan wanted. Um, you know, that was sort of the point of all the things they did, the Oprah interview, the Netflix, the book, the major point was supposed to be that the royal family is, they want to bring down the monarchy. And they want to do this by saying, or improving or, or convincing people that the monarchy is racist. Um, although if you clearly, if you look at, you know, um, even in their Netflix, you could see that it was that they weren't racist, that um, that the, the wedding of Harry and Meghan, for example, um, had lots of black culture in it. Um, and the people in the in the streets were lining up and they were they were honoring Meghan. I mean, there was no racism. And then finally, just recently, when he was on an interview um, with Anderson, um, uh, why am I not? With Anderson Cooper, um, he finally admitted on you know you know how many people watch Anderson that that show um, that episode of Anderson Cooper, and he admitted on Anderson Cooper that um, it wasn't about racism that he's not calling the the um, uh, royal family racist. It, he like backpedaled on this, I guess, because he saw he was getting a lot of flack for that because you could not prove that they're racist because they're not. And the reason why there were there were some criticism of Megan uh, before they got married, after they got married, currently, before even the Oprah interview and all of these other things, there was criticism of her, but not because she's biracial, because she was. Oh, um, a malignant narcissist, as I call her. And so, but they, she, and and she has convinced Harry to try to say that, no, um, it's, it's all about racism. Well, it's so interesting because at least as of today, when I'm recording this, uh, since he walked back his um, theme of the royal family being racist, since he admitted, oh, no, they're not racist, in a TV interview, there has been neither hide nor hair of Megan. She has not surfaced. I mean, she's usually all around the place trying to, wherever there's a TV camera, you can find Megan Markle. But there, she has been very quiet. No, there has not, there have not been interviews. It's been really quiet. Now, presumably, eventually she'll resurface. But um, I think that that really created a, uh, a rift between the two of them. Anyhow, getting back um, to Afghanistan, um, let's see. So yes, he, so he was always a, a terror, like a danger by terrorist threat, meaning like a danger in the sense that he would, if he would be kidnapped, you know, that was a threat. Um, so again, he was. Uh, now this is interesting. Um, the irony is that he was never supposed to return to the war zone following his first tour, which was cut short after an Australian magazine broke a media embargo not to report his presence in Afghanistan. It was when the media you know, revealed they weren't supposed to say that he was in Afghanistan. And when um, it was an Australian magazine and some other media outlet that said he was there, and that's when they attacked the base. So according to senior military sources, Harry was furious when top brass ordered his that he must return to Britain and he demanded that he should be able to redeploy. Uh, military commanders didn't want to do that because they thought that the war against the Taliban was too dangerous for Harry. And at that time, he was third in line to the throne. So they didn't want him killed or, or injured. Um, they said a source about this said, quote, he couldn't go back with ground forces. Air was the only option. Honestly, nobody thought he would qualify as an Apache pilot or co-pilot. 
The course is so difficult, and he did not have the science qualifications of most trainee pilots. So we threw him that option, saying he could go back as an Apache air crew, thinking it would never happen. But not only did he pass all the courses, he came top of his class. So, so much for that. Well, when we come back, um, I'm going to talk to you about further danger that um, Harry has put himself and everyone else in, um, not just because of the Taliban and other terrorists, but um, also in regard to Iran. Of course, they are other, they are the world's greatest sponsor of terrorism. So basically, he has enraged the whole world, <laughs> the whole terrorist world. All right, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Taliban is right. Prince Harry has gone mad. Now, I probably should say, as a psychiatrist, I probably should cover my you-know-what by saying that um, I have never met Prince Harry. As I said, I did meet Prince Charles when he was a prince. Um, He was very pleasant. Uh, but I do not think it was right that he was having this affair with Camilla before and, and during, notably during his marriage with Diana. But um, but I have not met Harry uh, in person. So um, all of my comments about his being mad are based upon what I have seen of him and what I have read of him. You know, what I, re- I read his book and what I've seen of him in these different things that I mentioned. He's been all over the place. You can't help but see him. And, um, you know, the, so, some of what he talked about in regard to his mother, imagining that she was still alive, um, what he, you know, his, going, his backpedaling, his actually he's been changing, um, going back and forth with things that he has said, other things too, but the, the most, um, the worst in a sense, uh, in terms of his relationship with Megan is what he, you know, is going back on. I mean, I'm glad he went back on saying that the, uh, the monarchy is racist because they're not racist. Um, so that's a good thing, but, um, but anyhow, so there have been lots of, lots of other symptoms that I can't, I don't want to go into now because I want to talk about Afghanistan. Um, okay. So in addition to Afghanistan and making all the terrorists, um, plot to kill him, um, uh, and, oh, and I do want to say something, you know, Montecito, where he lives with his family, his wife and his two children is very near where I live. And he, in, in, um, in uh, the Netflix series, there are lots of pictures of him on the beach. Now, he might have um, security at some point near there, um, but it looks very, you know, uh, very quiet, very vacant. And um, it did not look as though it would be too hard for a Taliban or other terrorist to, uh, to go there and capture him. Just saying. Um, anyhow, but in addition to the terrorists and Taliban, he um, he also is getting flack, or there's also a, a, a backlash, not just against him, but against the British people, because they just um, executed a man named um, Ali 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 Riza Akbari. Um, he they executed him. And uh, this he is, they, they executed him because they believed that he was a British spy. Um, he has uh, Iranian British dual national citizenship. Um, and he was, he had been an Iranian former deputy defense minister. He was arrested in 2019. He was accused of espionage for Great Britain. Uh, related to past nuclear talks between Iran and Western nations. And this is what the Iranian state media said. 
So um, Akbari was sentenced to death on charges of corruption and espionage. And so now um, Britain had tried to, had said that this uh, death sentence was politically motivated and they called for his immediate release to save him. Um, now he played a role, Akbari played a role in the 2020 assassination of Iran's top nuclear scientist, <laughs> uh, apparently. Well, this is what, wait, this is what Iranian Iranian state media say. They are claiming, you know, for, and part of why they executed him. They, they're saying that he played a role in the 2020 assassination of Iran's top nuclear scientist, Moshin Farfakhrizada, a day. Um, who was killed in, a, in an attack outside Tehran in, that the authorities had originally blamed on Israel. So now they're blaming it on him. They blame it on whoever they want to execute. Um, so how this connects to Harry is because they are using Harry's book and Harry's kill count, Taliban kill count, to justify hanging this British you know, citizen, British Iranian citizen. And this was, you know, they were using it to excuse the execution and also using it as part of Iran's propaganda machine. Um, so they, um, let's see, they, was, they said, the Iranians said that um, Britain was in no position to preach on human rights after the prince's recent admission about killing Taliban. In his memoir, Spare, uh, they called him, well, he was called a stupid boy. Um, one commander said Harry had rendered himself a tool for the Tehran regime. Um, former First Sea Lord Admiral Lord West said Harry was a stupid boy saying what he said but there is no equivalence with what Iran is doing. So in other words, yes, Harry was stupid for writing what he wrote, but um, that does not excuse what Iran is doing by hanging this British, partially British citizen. Then um, Colonel Richard Kemp uh, is talking again, and he's, he's a, a former UK military commander in Afghanistan. And he said, quote, Harry should take full responsibility for giving ammunition to the murderous Iranian regime's propaganda machine. While all decent people will reject Iran's lies, many of their supporters will be strengthened by the Ayatollah's exploitation of the Duke's ill-judged comments. Then we have at former Royal Admiral Royal, former Royal Navy Commander, Rear Admiral Chris Perry said, quote, the Iranians are using him for propaganda purposes. Despite the clumsy word by Prince Harry, words by Prince Harry, it is highly duplicitous to claim equivalence between the lawful killing of combatants in warfare and a show trial and political murder by a dictatorial regime. Um, then, oh, yes, then just days before his death, Akbari was beaten in jail and forced to give a confession, forced to confess to these spying things or killing, um, you know, the, the nuclear, the, the man who they, they had thought was killed by Israel. Um, so they broadcast his forced confession on the BBC's Persian surface service. And he said he was tortured to make him commit to crimes he did not uh, commit. Well, that doesn't seem. Um, I mean, oh, days before his death, somehow he was able to. Uh, he was able to admit, he was able to say that he was tortured to make him admit it. But they also, you know, of course, broadcast his confession. Um, uh, anyhow, lots of people in 
um, England are, are, you know, saying basically that what Harry um, said, you know, what Harry wrote, um, not, none of this uh, uh, defends or, or excuses what Iran is doing by executing this man and claiming that he was a spy. Um, let's see. And then we also have a Muslim cleric who is, who is a very well listened to, um, uh, uh, Anjem Chordere, Chordere, um, he has been talking about this and lots of people listen to him. He's a very famous extremist Muslim uh, Islamist preacher. And he said that the Duke of Sussex has shown his, quote, true colors uh, by confessing he took the lives of 2025 Taliban, blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, he goes on and on. But the point is that even he, you know, he would have been, in, he had been uh, imprisoned um, and he said, um, the world now knows of the wickedness that the U.S., U.K., and others engaged in, including repeatedly murdering innocent, unarmed Muslims. Nevertheless, Harry still saw fit to plunge his knife further into the hearts of Muslims with his callous, boastful comments. It was not all Muslims. It was the Taliban, the radical Islamists. Um, now he, um, Chaudhary, uh, uh, lives in London, East London, and he had been imprisoned um, for his, uh, you know, being a terrorist, basically, for being an inspiration to terrorists. And he was let go, um, and he had after he served his time. And he had um, stringent conditions for about two and a half years after his release, but now he is back and free to preach. And uh, his assets are frozen by the treasury. He's designated as a global terrorist by the United Nations, which prevents him from traveling abroad. But people listen to, he has inspired many a lone wolf um, listening to his sermons on the internet. Now, I'm going to read um, the final part of the book, Harry's book, that I'm going to read. It has to do with, he is talking about, um, uh, <laughs> he likens the hel his helicopter controls, the Apache helicopter, to his PlayStation computer. So I will um, tell you about that. He said that, before being called on a mission, he would be at the base drinking coffee and playing PlayStation with other soldiers. Later, when he was in the helicopter, he likened the control to fire missiles to those he was using during the game moments earlier. Quote, I held my thumb over the cursor, watched the screen, waited there. I pulled one trigger to fire the pointing laser and another to fire the missile. The thumbstick I fired was remarkably similar to the thumbstick for the PlayStation game I'd just been playing. When they returned to base, when they returned to base, they also played some more PlayStation. Now, <laughs> um, as you may know, um, the Americans uh, military uh, trains, and I'm sure it's not just Americans and the British who do this, um, train the military on um, video, violent video games. You know, not necessarily that have, uh, I don't know, <laughs> that have pictures of the Taliban, you know, shoot, practicing shooting the Taliban or other terrorists, but um, practicing shooting. That's how they get them to actually, um, I mean, it is true. They get them to try to see the enemy as the other, not as a person, because it is true that people, whether it's American or the British um, or other Western uh, forces, you know, that who have more humanity, um, they wouldn't be able to be good soldiers, be good, um, they wouldn't be able to kill the enemy if they did see them as real people. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, 
that Harry is, you know, this is like so unique or so he's, this is terrible. What's terrible is his writing about it and bragging about it. That's what's terrible. All right. So here's the final part that I'm going to read to you from his book, Spare. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Um, as my tour neared its end around Christmas 2012, I had questions and qualms about the war, but none of these were moral. I mean, hello? <laughs> really? Um, I still believed in the mission. Well, that's true. And the only shots I thought twice about were the ones I hadn't taken, for instance, the night we were called in to help some Gurkhas, they were pinned down by a nest of Taliban fighters. And when we arrived, there was a breakdown in communication. So we simply weren't able to help. It haunts me still um, hearing my Gurkha brothers calling out on the radio, remembering every Gurkha I had known and loved being prevented from doing and being prevented from doing anything. As I fastened my bags and said my goodbyes, I was honest with myself. I acknowledged plenty of regrets, but they were the healthy kind. See, you know, everything, I mean, some of what he's writing about is okay in terms of the military. I mean, that's normal, but it's the way he writes about it, the bragging way. Oh, I didn't have, you know, I mean, really, um, I think most veterans, in fact, that's part of PTSD for many veterans, whichever war they fought in. They do feel bad. I mean, they know that they did a good job. They were supposed to kill the enemy. Otherwise, there would have been more 9-11s and so on, or other uh, attacks on America or Britain. But um, but they do have some qualms about it, and that th those give them nightmares. <sighs> Anyhow, um, I regretted the things I hadn't done. The Brits and Yanks, I hadn't been able to help. I regretted the job not being finished. Most of all, I regretted that it was time to leave. So then he talks about uh, the first week of 2013. Um, before I could get onto the plane with my fellow soldiers, this is to go home, I went into a tent and sat in the one empty chair, the obligatory exit interview. The chosen reporter asked what I'd done in Afghanistan. I told him. He asked if I'd fired on the enemy. What? Yes. His head went back surprised. What did he think we were doing over here? Selling magazine subscriptions? He'd asked if I'd killed anyone. Yes. Again, surprised. I tried to explain. It's a war, mate, you know. <laughs> I mean, that is, that's true. That's all true. Uh, before we left Cyprus, that was the like the midway part, you know, before they got back to England. Um, I was all, oh, someone told me I was all over the papers. Oh, yeah? The interview. Shit, I'd completely forgotten. Apparently, I'd caused quite a stir by admitting I'd killed people in a war. I was criticized up and down for being a killer and being blithe about it. That's the point. I'd mentioned in passing that the Apache controls were reminiscent of video game controls and thus, the, uh, the headlines in the press were, Harry compares killing to video game. Again, Harry, it's not what you say. It's the fact that you said it at all and the fact that you said it in a way that was very boastful. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, I may have inadvertently <laughs> gotten you to buy the book and... Uh, and um, want to read the rest of it. That was not my that was not my goal. Believe me, I don't want to give him more um, more uh, money. <laughs> um, this has been quite a bestseller. Um, and I, again, I wouldn't have bought it myself were it not that I had to know about it to talk about it. Um, but if you're going to buy it at all, if you're dying of curiosity, you want especially about the Afghan. Uh, material and there's a lot more than I that I didn't read. I mean, I picked out the best parts um, to make my point. Um, if you do want to buy it, then at least buy the online version, um, which is less expensive. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. 
I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.